Our gospel text this morning comes from the end of the second of five teaching blocks in Matthew's gospel. Matthew, written, we think, to uh, Jewish Christians, uses the five blocks like the five books of Moses uh, that we think of as the Torah. And the Sermon on Mission that this comes at the end of follows the first block, the Sermon on the Mount. Those of you who were here last week or heard the sermon know that the sermon Jesus, on the text from last week, uh, Jesus didn't sugarcoat or sidestep the fact that those who were sent out in his name would experience conflict and division, the text that comes immediately before the verses I'll read in a moment. Jesus' discourse on the disciples' mission to the lost sheep of the house of Israel alternates between images of warning and those of promise. It's almost as if Jesus was giving us the bad cop talk last week and has switched to the good cop today. In verses 40 through 42, Jesus shifts his gaze. Since chapter 10, verse 5, he's been speaking to his disciples. Now he turns his attention to the the crowd that has gathered and is listening. He speaks to the matter of reception. How will his disciples be received? Jesus closes this teaching session with the disciples by announcing what's in store for those who receive their ministry. The whole passage can be summed up by the opening words, whoever welcomes me, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. In other words, to show hospitality and receptivity to a disciple of Jesus is the same thing of showing hospitality to Jesus himself and therefore hospitality to God. Let's turn now to chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Hear the word of God. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thirty-seven years ago, yesterday, I became acquainted with summer in the South. The Presbytery of Greater Atlanta had called me as the organizing pastor of the Alpharetta New Church Development in a growing community of North Atlanta, and I arrived July 1st, 1986. They had purchased a 10-acre plot of land in downtown Alpharetta and had given me the marching orders of having 200 members in a new building in two years. Go get them. In many ways, it was a highly unlikely call. I was, after all, fresh out of seminary. While I had worked at three different churches and as a prison chaplain and as a chaplain back to my alma mater, my college, I was in no way seasoned or experienced. 
And I wasn't from the South, in case you all hadn't figured that out. A Pennsylvania boy, I had only visited Atlanta once, driving home from working a job in West Yellowstone the summer after my first year at seminary. There was something of a new church development boom in those years in Atlanta, but all the other new church pastors had been associate pastors of the large churches in Atlanta, all of them, to quote the song from Music Man, knew the territory. Each started out with a nucleus of members from their former churches. I, on the other hand, had a three-by-five card with four names of families who had moved from my church in New Jersey somewhere in Atlanta. It was, as they say, an inauspicious start, and it was hot. In 1986, Atlanta and North Georgia was in a heat wave. It was above 95 degrees for the entire month. Half of the month was above 100, and there wasn't a drop of rain. Hay was being trucked in from the Midwest because the hay and corn crops were shriveled in the fields. It was an apocalyptic scene. Not knowing the first thing about professional marketing, I got a nice sign on the property and began knocking on doors, literally, painfully, dissolving in pools of perspiration on people's welcome mats. Soon we gathered a core, learned better ways to get the word out, and by the grace of God, two years and a day from our first worship service, we moved into a newly built church with 191 on the rolls. And like Jesus and Luke, asking the leper who returned to thank him for the healing, I kept asking, where are the other nine? (laughs) Maybe it was July 1st anniversary or the summer heat or Donovan's wonderful vignettes of former church members that he's been sharing while on sabbatical. But our text from Matthew has me remembering the countless acts of kindness and care shown to me in my early days of ministry. It has me remembering Mike and Joanne Reddy. They showed up the third Sunday we were open for business, worshiping in Milton High School's cafeteria with their two teenage boys in tow. Mike was a Vietnam vet who was a manufacturer's rep for Northern Telecom with only one client, Disney and he had the Mickey Mouse wristwatch to prove it. Every Sunday night, he was on a plane for Orlando to keep the mouse happy. The bumper sticker on the back of his Suburban read, he who dies with the most toys wins. Joanne was a stay-at-home mom who never quite got over that Mike had made her move from her beloved Lynchburg, Virginia. She would go back time after time to renew her Virginia driver's license, which she wouldn't give up. Soon she became part of our team that counted the offering every Monday morning using her administrative gifts to help organize our work. But more importantly, Mike and Joanne opened their home and extended hospitality to a kid who was still wet behind his ears on a mission field that, if not foreign, was surely a long way from home. Last Monday, I received a text from their son, Michael, letting me know that Mike had died after a long illness. 
I'm sorry we weren't able to talk at the end to ask if he thought he'd had enough toys or for me to assure him that because he had shown care to this little one, he had shown it to Jesus and to God. Our sermon is about hospitality. Hospitality, as my friend Bill Carter reminds us, is the opposite of guarding your own turf. Hospitality is making room for others. As a spiritual teacher, Henry Nouwen said so well, hospitality is the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. To be hospitable is to create that space, to make room for strangers. It's an intentional act of welcome, not merely a concept we think about, but it's an act that we do. Pause for a minute and and, and think about the last time when somebody was especially hospitable to you. What happened? How did it make you feel? A good friend noted many years ago, churches can learn a lot about hospitality if they pay attention to good restaurants. A thriving restaurant is always expecting new people. Strangers are warmly greeted, even directed to a good seat. Fresh drink and warm bread are offered before the newcomers even ask. Questions are answered, no matter how apparently small or trivial. There was nothing intentionally excluded, no insider jargon, no assigned seats, no inappropriate demand. It's as if they were expecting you to come and glad when you do. That's how a restaurant does it. The food is tasty and nutritious. There's a good chance those visitors will return. My friend told me his church staff in session were reading the James Beard award-winning restaurateur Danny Meyer's New York Times best-selling book, Setting the Table, the Transforming Power of Hospitality and Business, to help them think of how their church could become more intentionally hospitable. Hospitality is more than friendliness. Most congregations regard themselves as friendly. They say, we're a friendly church. To translate, some of us have been here forever, and we greet the others who've been here forever, and some of us who are insiders have become close friends. That's a very different thing than creating space for somebody you do not know. Hospitality originates in an open heart. That's why it's difficult. If we do not know the stranger, we might grow fearful of the stranger. But to have an open heart, to welcome someone with an open heart, is to take a significant risk that the stranger might change me. The stranger may have a different view on matters that seem settled, that pushes me to enlarge my understanding. They could have significant needs that challenges me to care more deeply. They may come from a different set of life experiences which presses me beyond my assumptions and my privileges. As Henry Nouwen writes, if we expect any salvation, redemption, healing, and new life, the first thing we need is an open, receptive place where something can happen to us. 
For the change comes not merely to the stranger, but to all of us, for we are all strangers too. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, who is also a stranger, comes into our midst. He comes with a challenging voice, a fierce clarity, and a grace that sounds unbelievable. His love comes with surgical precision that can heal the hurts that we have quickly dismissed or covered over. I take now and to mean that if there will be salvation, redemption, healing, and new life, they'll come by welcoming Christ the stranger, the unexpected one, who brings us the power of God. And one of the specific ways that we welcome Christ and God is by welcoming the strangers God has sent us. The further along I get in as a follower of Jesus, the more I read the New Testament, the more deeply I understand the profound truth at the heart of all Christian faith, that all of us are guests at God's table. God is the gracious host and has been setting the table all along. It's God's church, not ours. We can't stake a claim on any of the pews because they're God's pews. And since we're guests, we're called to make room for other guests. We welcome them as they are, not as we prefer them to be. In the incredible mercy of God, all of us are welcomed. If we can perceive this holy hospitality, we'll be cracked open, released from our self-defined isolation, and brought into the presence of others who are desperate to know the same grace and truth God has offered to us. I'm excited to see how our cafe has provided a new space for us to open and welcome those who come. But if you feel this work of holy hospitality seems too great to take on, listen to how Eugene Peterson renders the last verse. This is a large work I've called you into. But don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. Such, such a small thing to give a cup of cold water. One commentator observes, Jesus emphasizes the same by his use of the word even. We often imagine discipleship requiring huge sacrifice or entailing great feats. And sometimes that's exactly what discipleship comes to. But at other times, Jesus seems to say it's nothing more than giving a cup of cold water to one in need or offering a hug to someone who's grieving or listening to someone in need of a friend or, or volunteering at a local food bank or making a donation to a ministry or you get the idea. He goes on to remind us that discipleship doesn't have to be heroic. Like all small acts of devotion, tenderness and forgiveness that go largely unnoticed but tend the relationships that are most important to us, so also the life of faith is composed of a thousand small gestures. Except that according to Jesus, there is no small gesture in the economy of God. Anything of love and faith has cosmic significance for the ones involved and indeed the world God loves so much.
Thursday uh, a week ago, after our Thursday morning book study was over, I headed to the Magnolia Room so Susie Lane could interview me on film. Some of you know our elder Susie works for an intergenerational relational ministry now called Gen On. Previously, it was called Lagos, Logos, and before that, more than 50 years ago, it was called Youth Club. And like we are doing in our 150th year of interviewing folks in the church, so Gen On is interviewing some of us who were part of it in the early days. One of her co-workers known I'd grown up in a church that had youth club and asked me for my remembrances. And honestly, I don't remember a lot for the years that I participated because those were the, the last years of my mom's sickness and the first years after her death. But what I do remember most was one of the ladies from the church, Mariah Lemming, Joe's mom, would pick my sister and me up from East Hills Junior High School and drive us with Joe to church, to youth club. And I'm sure she would say it was, it was no big thing. I had to take Joe. I could easily take you too. But she was a ray of sunshine in a very dark time. Extending a hospitality and welcome that got me to the church where I could encounter God's grace in community. This week we'll celebrate the 4th of July, which is always a time to reflect on where we are in this experiment of democracy we call America. I hope you will give God thanks for the privilege and responsibility of being a disciple in the context of this great country. Last week, Supreme Court walked back the vision of a society of larger hospitality by pulling up the drawbridges of welcome and education and business. In effect, they gave the permission for few to exclude others, allowing those with power to deny certain people dignity and welcome. They took their weight off the legal scales of inclusion, of further and deeper inclusion. American historian of Christianity, Diana Butler Bass, writes, when the law fails to welcome and include, the practice of hospitality falls back to those who envision a truly accepting society, a community where all are welcomed and all are fed, a place of reciprocal generosity, humbled by the tender knowledge that at any moment we might be either host or guest. The New Testament is clear when Caesar's law rules against hospitality of stranger, God's people inveigh against such laws. We welcome everybody. We respect the dignity of every person. If you turn people away, you are turning Christ himself away. She concludes, more than ever, our theology and ethics need to be guided by Jesus' own words. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And we do that because we believe that God has been setting the table for us all.
Let us come to receive God's grace to be strengthened for our witness in the wider world. Amen.